This is the Joe and Amber podcast. Not a blowout in Miami. Not a blowout, Joe. I know you were wondering. The Miami Heat right now still losing to the Milwaukee Bucks, but things have gotten a little bit tighter. 33-28 to as the first quarter comes to an end in that game. Jimmy Butler is the best player in the universe. I mean, it's ridiculous, his stat line so far. He's 8-for-9, 2-for-2 from 3. Like, it doesn't even make sense what Jimmy Butler's been doing out there, but he also looks gassed and exhausted because he's carrying that team. We will continue to keep you updated on that game. Joe and Amber's presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive can help you protect your home auto, boat, motorcycle, ATV, and RV, and plenty more. And if something wasn't mentioned that you had in mind, find out if it can be covered at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE, because it probably can be. So you heard there on the open that Aaron Rodgers is now a member of the New York Jets. Certainly the Jets get much better. Green Bay, Wisconsin in, uh, in return here, Joe, gets some draft capital. And not like a ton, not like monster draft cap. It sounds like a lot, but when we had Keyshawn Johnson on earlier in the show, and if you missed anything here on Joe and Amber, you can check out the podcast on the ESPN app. He was saying it's really not a ton. And I guess it's really not a ton in fairness to Key's point, but I feel like the Packers did pretty well when you're talking about a 38-year-old quarterback who has a monster contract and only a couple years left on his deal who was about to retire. So the first thing a lot of people look at now that Rodgers is joining the Jets. Now pay attention. Joe and Amber, Aaron Rodgers watch. Oh, I love that they just did it to you. You're not going to get me. Instead of me. I love it. James, how does that we, feel? You didn't get me. We felt we felt like you it seemed like you felt left out. So we were just we were just trying, you know. We I just had tried paused to, at a perfect spot when the sound no, came in good. and then I waited. I stayed calm and I did not lose my mind like Amber and start throwing and smashing. I didn't things. jump when they did it to you instead of me. Normally <sighs> I like then. jump like, you know. Very professional. Like somebody just Proud scared you, me. It was pure luck. Let's be completely honest there. I had no idea that was coming. You haven't done that to me once, so I had no idea that was coming. I got very lucky with the way that played out. The way everyone looks at this Rodgers deal with him in the AFC now is, my God, look at the quarterbacks in the AFC. In the AFC East alone, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers, Tua Vailoa, Lamar Jackson could still be there. A Kenny Pickett coming up with Pittsburgh, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert. List goes Poor on and on and on. What? Poor Mac Jones. No, even sorry, Mac Jones. <laughs> You don't make my list. I'll get Kenny Pickett in there. I won't get you in there. But but I here's the though. one thing. Here's the one thing that comes up either not at all or so late in the conversation. Look at the NFC right now. All right? You got Jalen Hurts and Dak Prescott and then Daniel Jones and whatever Washington's going to trot out there. You got Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Jordan Love, Justin Fields. You got whatever the Bucks are trotting out. You got Bryce Young in Carolina, Derek Carr with the Saints. Atlanta going with Desmond Ritter. The Niners apparently going with Brock Purdy, but the injury, the surgery, it's a concern. Seattle and Geno Smith, the Rams and Matthew Stafford, the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. Like, either that is a wide-open race in the NFC, or that is going to be a two- to three-team race, and the rest of it is going to be absolute dreck. Do you think it's one of the reasons that Green Bay decided this 
was the year to part with Aaron Rodgers because we can still get something in return because he's still got a couple years left on his deal. But then also, maybe they felt like this is the year to try to set Jordan Love up for success because of what you just mentioned. That's the thing. I mean, how tough is this division? The Bears will be a little bit better than they were last year, but they were a three-win team. Detroit went 9-7. and seven. A lot of people project them to be a serious force this year. But again, it's Detroit. We'll see. They just had the gambling issue last week. That's going to knock Jamison Williams out for the first six games of the season. Minnesota had a 13-win season, but we know they're going to regress. You look around the conference, if Jordan Love is even half as good as, as what they were hoping for when they drafted him in the first round a few years ago, they could be a team that goes out there and finds their way into the postseason. They really could. It's not like the roster's terrible. And they now went from the 15th pick up to the 13th pick. So if you go out and draft like Jackson, Jackson Smith Najigba, excuse me, from um, Ohio State, and he comes in alongside, what's it, Christian Wilk, Christian Watkins, who was playing last year as a rookie, they suddenly have a pretty formidable wide receiving unit. Young, but formidable. Well, so in return for Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers move up a couple spots with that first pick. They get a second rounder at number 42. In this upcoming draft, they also get a sixth rounder at 207, but they did give up a fifth rounder in this upcoming draft. Now, they get a conditional 2024 second rounder that becomes a first rounder of Aaron Rodgers, plays 65% of the season. So they get draft capital back in return for a quarterback that they wanted to part ways with anyways. Of course, the New York Jets in return get their guy in Aaron Rodgers. Marcus Spears, ESPN's NFL analyst on NFL Live, and this news broke while they were live on air on NFL Live. The reactions of everybody on that panel were quite funny, but they were all reacting to this news in real time. Marcus Spears said that he thinks that this deal was done well for both sides. Green Bay has really set themselves up for the next couple of years to not only be able to maneuver if they find a quarterback, if they find out that Jordan Love is not the guy, but you also look at this team and this entire saga that they've been through with Aaron Rodgers. And for anyone at the beginning of this to come out to this point that we're at now where both sides get what they want And Green Bay is sitting there with a haul of draft picks and the opportunity to improve their team. Aaron Rodgers gets what he wants after everything we watched transpired. This is a phenomenal job of business Mm. by the NFL and two general managers, Joe Douglas as well, with not relenting on having a first round pick, but having it just two picks later. Phenomenal GMing on both of these uh, both of these franchises part. It does feel like, to me, that both sides come out of this in a better position than they went into this thing and that they've got to feel pretty good about where they ended up. This deal took a lot longer than I think any of us expected. Once we knew where he wanted to go and we knew all parties involved wanted him to go there, it felt like it took forever. But the reality is, Joe, they got this done before the draft. And the draft felt like the day that they had to get it done by because this allowed Green Bay to be able to go ahead and utilize this trade right now in this upcoming draft on Thursday. It also allowed for the Jets, Aaron Rodgers, to get there and get started and they can move forward and try to get him around that team. Maybe he'll actually show up to OTAs this time. I mean, put it like this. Do you think there's a single member of the New York Jets organization or the New York Jets fan base that thinks this is a bad deal for the organization? Like once they look at the details that they sit there and go, man, we gave up way too much or man, we made a huge mistake going. I mean, they may in the future, but But there's nobody doing that now. No, of course not. You just got Aaron Rodgers. The Jets haven't been to the playoffs since 2010. They are an afterthought at every single turn. They're an afterthought. Look at their city. They are the least 
relevant professional franchise in their city. The Giants are always more relevant than the Jets. The Knicks, it's a basketball town in New York. The Rangers in the playoffs right now. The Jets are never relevant, ever. Only if it's dysfunctional or a situation where, like with Zach Wilson, the whole thing comes tumbling down before it can even get started. Now with Aaron Rodgers, you become relevant. I don't think anyone would take the Giants over the Jets right now in terms of who's got the better team. Giants had a nice season last year, but they performed above expectation, and they're probably coming back down to earth a little bit this year. The Jets have a, have a, have a chance, have a real chance to put together, I don't know, 10-plus wins, get to the playoffs, and maybe make some noise because it's not just Rodgers. you got to remember, they've got a pretty solid defense over there. They're not going to need Rodgers to play A-level football in every single game in order to win. The defense is going to be able to carry them in some games. And when you have an elite quarterback and a top-five defense, that is a scary combination, regular season or playoffs. They've got an elite one, but heck, I think they would have even settled for a competent one coming off of this past season because it didn't feel like they had that in Zach Wilson. Anyway, you cut this thing. Even if Aaron Rodgers isn't MVP, Aaron Rodgers, still a huge upgrade for that New York Jets team. I do think that there is a Zach Wilson angle here, though. I do wonder Aaron Rodgers has never seemed to be one to embrace the role of trying to help mentor a player, right? I mean, it didn't feel like he had embraced the role of mentoring Jordan Love, but I do wonder if that's part of the plan there with Zach Wilson. Like, could Zach Wilson learn a thing or two from a dude who's won three league MVPs and is on the tail end of his career? Because the reality is, I don't know if Zach Wilson holds much trade value for the Jets right now, but maybe they have an opportunity there for Aaron Ro- for him to learn from Aaron Rodgers. You know, a guy who they did spend a first rounder on. Because Aaron Rodgers isn't their long-term plan. He's a win now plan theoretically you could have him bold the young guy coming up behind him too Food and all thought. these people out there who are saying oh i feel so bad for zach wilson imagine watching all your teammates and all the fans celebrate the trade well if you had done your job and been a professional they wouldn't have had to do this well that's true and also it's aaron Rodgers. like i always wonder if that that helps a little bit you know yeah. it's aaron right it's not like it's not like they brought in Jimmy Garoppolo or even somebody lesser than that. It's Aaron freaking Rod. They didn't bring Break Baker Mayfield in and unseat you. They brought in Aaron Rodgers. Coming up next. It's always the media. That was an Aaron Rodgers watch. Come on, nice. Rachel. I guess that was the last time ever that I have to deal with that. For now. All right. Last so, time for now. Whew. Never say never. We have, There's always the offseason. Every time. Coming up. It's, that's actually that's actually true. We we cannot get rid of that sound because we we know next off season we will be in the same predicament when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. It's always the media's fault, isn't it? Well, we will get into it coming up next year on Joe and Amber. Joe and Amber, the podcast. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Death is the only punishment here. Now streaming, FX's Shogun. My master asks, what do you seek here? To vanquish our common enemies. Based on the global bestseller by James Clavell. War is coming. The epic saga of war, passion, and power. How'd it come? FX's Shogun. Now streaming on Hulu.
Right now, two-point game with the Bucks leading the Miami Heat 38-36. to Jimmy Butler, though, can do no wrong tonight. He even dunked on Giannis Antetokounmpo at one point. His stat line is out of control. He's 9 for 10 right now, 22 points already in this game, 2 for 2 from three is the best player on the court tonight. And yes, Giannis Antetokounmpo is out there. Uh, I'm just saying tonight, like so far, everybody calm down. I'm not saying Jimmy Butler's actually better than Giannis. Tonight, he looks good. So close game there. We'll continue to keep you updated on that one. We're also going to get into Lakers Grizz in just moments. But first, Joe's going to try to earn you a little bit of money. Pizza money alert. Pizza, pizza. Lakers Grizzlies tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern. We're going to go over 222 total points. Here are the closing totals, the over-unders, for each game that's been played in this series. Game 1 was 228. Game 2 was 223. Game 3 was 222. And now we once again have a 222. The adjustment is too much. And based on what we saw in the last game, which was both teams combining to shoot 29% from deep, I think we have some statistical positive regression here. I think Memphis will be out there pushing the pace coming off the loss. And ultimately... Pizza money number two, we go over 222 total points. So the Lakers and Grizzlies get it going tonight. That is a 10 p.m. tip-off tonight in Los Angeles. Lakers lead this series two games to one. Joe and Amber's presented to you by Progressive Insurance. The story out of this game, though, Joe, has been Dylan Brooks, which who could have predicted that as we went into this series? But Dylan Brooks has made himself the story because he came out And he said, and we all know it, he said that LeBron James is old, essentially, right? I mean, that was the long and the short of it. He basically said, I'm not going to give him any respect unless he drops 40 on me because he's old. Okay, great. He said that about, you know, the greatest player of his generation. Well, then things didn't go so well for old Dylan in game three. He did not play well. He gets tossed from the game. He thinks his reputation is catching up to him. Here is Dylan Brooks, the Grizzlies forward. The media making me a villain the fans make me a villain and then that just creates a whole different persona on me so now you think I intended to hit LeBron James in the nuts I'm playing basketball I'm a basketball player so if I intended and that's whatever the whatever is in the fragment two um, uh, category of having a fragment two and you think I did that that means you think I'm that type of person and that's why I don't rate Mark Taylor at all It is Brooks' third ejection this season, and Dylan Brooks is essentially blaming us, it sounds like, blaming the media for making him the villain, Joe. Sure, sure. I'll start with this. Um, He talks a lot about himself. You don't hear him talk much about his team, his teammates, or the other team. He talks a lot about himself. He makes it about him. He makes it about him with the way he acts, with his conduct on the court, off the court. He makes it about him. That's all right. Do you. But... What you just did was run your mouth at LeBron James in an effort to get a lot of attention, which you got, and then you went out and got punked in game three where they smashed you. He only played 19 minutes. You know what he did in 19 minutes? He took 13 shots, making three of them, 23%. He was one of five from deep. He contributed two rebounds, zero assists, committed a turnover, finished with seven points when he was on the court the Lakers outscored the Grizz by six total points he stunk he did a lot of talk and he pulled off a big time antic display and then couldn't back any of it up 
So I don't really necessarily care what he has to say about the media or who's pointing him in this direction or who's painting him in this corner. What I saw was a guy who ran his mouth and then couldn't back it up at all. It's one thing to go out there and play hard, play well. Maybe that foul gets called. Maybe you lose a close game. Your squad got blasted. You did nothing. He's all talk, and that's what it showed in Game 3. Whether or not he bounces back, we'll see. But he stunk in Game 3. I'm here for the trash talk. I want more bleep talking in my sports. And I respect a guy who's willing to go after the greatest, right? Like, who is willing to bleep talk LeBron James? Well, apparently that's Dylan Brooks. And that's the problem with it to me, is who's doing it. Because I love it, and I want more of it. I just wish Dylan Brooks was better as a player while he's doing it. Because I want the guy who can then go out there and back it up. Because like you said, it falls on deaf ears when you can't. So he goes and he does the trash talking, and then he goes out and has that performance in game three which isn't even Dylan you know even by Dylan Brooks standards is a terrible performance so he has that performance in game three and it's like all right this guy just runs his mouth and can't do anything how fun would it be if that came from an excellent player because really the only insult that you can give LeBron is that he's old right Dylan Brooks is over a decade younger than LeBron James and that would be the way to go and to go after the guy who you're trying to replace but you have to be another superstar an up-and-coming superstar to be able to do it you know like it needs to be like a you know a John Morant out there not a Dylan Brooks doing it who's saying it at least then we could try to have a little bit more fun with it this ends up not being fun because Dylan Brooks isn't good enough and frankly I, I don't do it. Well, go ahead. I just, anybody can talk. Anybody can run their mouth. There's nothing special about running your mouth. The key is, do you back it up? Steph Curry doesn't need to run his mouth because he's out there trying to win games. John Morant, similar. LeBron, similar. Jimmy Butler tonight. These guys don't need to run their mouth. They don't need to get into it in the playoffs. They're out there trying to win games. They put the team and the mission first. So if you're in a great game and you guys are jawing back and forth, fantastic. But all this guy did was run his mouth and then get punched right in it. So I don't know. anyone we, can do that. We have a little bit of a misconception, though, about those guys and them not running their mouths. I mean, Steph Curry has this reputation of like, oh, he's, you know, he's such a nice guy. I mean, Steph Curry has the antics and the throwing the mouth guard. And he's he also done up. his his he bleep talk. And Jimmy, and Jimmy Butler's certainly up. done his bleep talk. They've all backed he it up. He backs it up. They've all done it, and I, but they've all done the bat, and even LeBron, they've all done it, and they all back it up. And that's what I'm saying. Like the bleep talking to me is fun. I, I respect that portion of it. I want more of it. It's fun. It needs to come from somebody else though, because you can't. You have to be a different caliber of player. You have to be able to compete with it in order to be able to sustain it being fun. So Dylan Brooks says he's being painted as the villain. Well, no, you quite literally came out and tried to be the heel. Something. There you go, James and Joe. A, a wrestling reference for you to make you guys smile. He, he came out and he was trying to be a wrestling heel. I mean, that's what he was. But the script didn't have Dylan Brooks being the better player, and he certainly wasn't that in Game 3 by any means. Again, another, another scripted wrestling reference. Shot. <laughs> Joe and Amber, the podcast. It's done. It is finally done. They got it done before the NFL draft. And the NFL draft is right here on ESPN Radio. Chris Canty, Chris Carlin, Ian Fitzsimmons, and Mike Tannebaum 
are all going to be on our airwaves. ESPN Radio's NFL draft coverage starts at 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday. And for all things NFL draft, there's nobody else to bring in other than NFL draft expert Mel Kuyper Jr. And Mel, thanks so much for joining us here on Joe and Amber. Obviously a huge trade today. Aaron Rodgers, he's finally a New York Jet. But let's talk about the draft implications of this trade. Green Bay moves up a couple of spots in the first round. They get pick 42, a second rounder. They get a sixth rounder in this upcoming draft. Does anything change for you in your analysis considering what happened today? Amber, Joe, great to be with you guys. I think it does affect positively the Packers situation because now all of a sudden by jumping up over New England, if they want Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver Ohio State, they can get him as opposed to maybe losing him to New England. Uh, so New England is a team that you would think would be looking at a slot receiver with that type of capability. He's going to be the first receiver off the board. Or Zay Flowers, who I love coming out of Boston College, are kind of 1-1A one and one a for me. So it does help in terms of Green Bay, like I say, jumping New England. For the Jets, it doesn't really impact them all that much. You say, well, New England could take an offensive tackle, but they're going to be probably four or three still on the board at that point, at worst two. So they'll be in a position to maybe get Broderick Jones from Georgia. Paris Johnson Jr. will probably be gone. Skaronsky from Northwestern probably gone. But Jones from Georgia, maybe at that point, Darnell Wright could still be there. Uh, you know, the right tackle from Tennessee. So if they're fortunate, uh, one or two of those offensive linemen could still be on the board at pick number 15. With Bryce Young expected to go to Carolina, the draft starts at two. And this has been a wild slot, Mel, for the last month and a half. Five, six different names being rumored, as well as a potential trade for the Texans. Here in Las Vegas, the favorite currently Kentucky quarterback, Will Levis. A lot of people are surprised by that. Some people are also saying the floor for Levis is four with Indianapolis. So take us through the Levis evaluation. How legitimate is it that he could go number two overall? Joe, I've been a big Levis guy all along. People thought I was crazy to say he could have been the number one pick when I thought that back in August uh, before the season began. Had he played like he did in 2021, and if he got some help, which he didn't, as you know, most of his key guys moved on uh, to the NFL, the center, tackle, you know, wide receiver, and the running back was suspended. Then he got hurt, and he was beat up, couldn't move. And he had nine rushing touchdowns the previous year, couldn't beat anybody with his legs, couldn't even, was no threat to run the football at all. Plus, they changed systems. Coordinator left, new coordinator came in. So for me, Levis, I still still really liked him. I, I said if Bryce Young wouldn't have been 204, uh, I would have had Will Levis as my QB1. So I went on record saying 195 had to be the weight for Bryce Young. And now most people that you talk to think Levis, and I'm talking about Todd and some others, have him the third, fourth, fifth quarterback. So to me, I was kind of out there on an island with Levis. There were a lot of haters of Levis, just like there were of Josh Allen and Daniel Jones and Justin Herbert and a lot of quarterbacks like that. But Justin Fields certainly last year had a lot of haters, but this year it was Levis. Now it's kind of become C.J. Stroud in the last week and a half. So I have no idea where Will Levis is going I've heard maybe two. Certainly, I've always heard Indianapolis at four could be a possibility that Ballard had a strong opinion of Levis. That was from somebody I talked to uh, in the league. We don't know that, though. These guys don't tell anybody anything. They'll tell a lot of lies if they can. They'll mislead if they can. For good reason, this is a serious thing. They want their guy to slide maybe to four. So if it is Levis and they say the ceiling is four, that's as far as he could go, maybe that's true. You know that voice, you know that draft analysis, Mel Kuyper Jr., of course, joining us here on Joe and Amber. So, Mel, you heard Joe just say it. This draft really 
starts at two. I'm curious, how does this draft rate for you? You've been doing this a really long time. How does this one rate for you in terms of complexity of figuring it out? Because I just feel like in other drafts, at least in recent memory, we've had a better idea of who's going in the top five. I mean, even the number one pick here, we expect it to be Bryce Young now, but that's kind of a recent development here over the last few weeks, the way that the odds have changed. Yeah, you and Joe should be draft analysts, Amber. I mean, you guys got it pretty much nailed down pretty good to say the way it is shaking down because it's not a great draft. And because of that, there are a lot of players that are very hard to figure, Very a lot of players who are very similar and comparable in grade. So for me, just putting together a board of 150 to 200 has been most challenging probably I've ever had. And I've been doing this for 45 years. So this draft, for a variety of reasons, is very hard to predict, very hard to evaluate, very hard to rate players and feel good about the rating you put on a player. So it is a wild and crazy draft It's going to be – I would say I hope it's going to be mysterious up until the end where we just don't know. We think we know Carolina is taking Bryce Young. After that, a lot of guessing going on, a lot of speculation out there. But I do think because it's not a strong draft overall, the grades of the players at the top are not equal to the grades from previous years. In some cases, not even close. Doesn't mean they're not good football players. Doesn't mean you're going to get a, a really good draft or get some really good players slide into the later rounds. They will. But on paper, this draft is below average from what it has been. And because of that, we get all these wild and crazy stories, speculation, predictions. And we got to love it because I love going into the draft not knowing exactly what's going to happen. Two players who have been at the center of a lot of those predictions, Tennessee quarterback Hendon Hooker, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson. A lot of people like Richardson because of the measurables, but he's raw. He needs to be developed. Hooker coming off the knee injury. What do you see in terms of how far Richardson can fall? How high could Hendon Hooker soar? Richardson looked like the number one pick overall. First game of the year against Utah. You guys saw that game, and then next week he's 40% against Kentucky and can't move the ball. Run, pass, didn't matter. They did nothing. He looked a little confused in that game, looked overmatched in that game by Kentucky's scheme on defense. Um, and then all of a sudden he had some good games and he had some not so good. You know, four games under 50% overall. Uh, 13 career starts is bothersome. You know, he's just not as accurate as you need him to be. Now, some you can excuse away. Dan Orlowski's been making that point about the drops that those receivers had this year. That is accurate. But he also missed a lot of layups. And he looked like, as I say, he was overwhelmed at times by the defense he was going against. So, for me, he's a tough evaluation. He needs a little time. I hope they give him a year. He's going to be a great running quarterback immediately. Passing improves. He's got the arm. Talent. He seems like he's got the want to. Uh, if that's the case, in three years he could be special. But right now he needs some work, and he needs to go to the right coach. And I think that's where he really needs the right system, the right coach. He needs continuity with that coach and that coordinator. If he gets it, he could be good. As opposed to where, as, as far as where he goes, I'm looking at right now. I mean, he could go. Some think he still could go to Houston. Some think he still could go to Indy. I thought Seattle was a great spot for him having Geno there. But it gets tricky because some quarterback is going to slide a bit. And whether it's Richardson or whether it's Levis, somebody's going to drop just a bit. And we don't know right now who that's going to be in terms of Hooker. I have a mid-second round grade on Hendon Hooker, and I'm not worrying about the ACL. He'll be back from that. Not worrying about the age. What I worry about is the system, which allows the quarterback to have great success, just like it did for Joe Milton in that bowl game against Clemson when he didn't even have their top two receivers who sat that game out, Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt. So for me, Hooker's another tough evaluation. I do think now, though, he will go in the first round. Where is anybody's guess? It may be to a team trading into the later half of round one to get him. 
You know, we say Anthony Richardson's stock has risen here. We say guys like C.J. Stroud, their stock is, you know, falling. That might end up being in air quotes, um, that whole falling term, right? Because we expect all of these guys to go pretty high. But I'm curious, Mel, I've never gotten to ask you this question. In this world that we live in now with NIL and the power that these players have, have any of these players kind of taken into their own hands trying to raise their draft stock as we get towards an NFL draft? I don't even know if there's a means for them doing that but in terms of you know hiring a PR agency and trying to kind of change the tides is there any opportunity for draftees to sort of change their own narrative or is it just what's on the film and what they do in the combine there's not a lot Amber except to really show that you want to be great you'll be a grinder you'll be in there from day one you're going to be in that building first in the morning you'll be the last one to leave and we all talk about well that's the thing to say right do you do it? You know, they'll go back to talk to high school coaches, every college coach he's had, position coaches, the, the t- players on that team to see what type of leader he is. Will you go through a wall for him? I remember I had a conversation with Craig Bowl about Josh Allen, and this sealed the deal for me on Josh. When everybody was criticizing Josh Allen, and I knew the numbers, but I went to Craig Bowl and I talked to him. I said, Craig, coach. Tell me about Josh Allen. How much does he want to be great? I see the competitiveness. He said, Mel, he's the most competitive player at any position I've ever had in my life is Josh Allen. Remember, he coached Carson Wentz. He coached a lot of other guys who were in the NFL. So, you know, Craig Bowles said that. I said, okay, Justin Herbert. Well, everybody said, you know, he's a little shy. He's reserved. He's not a take-charge guy. Called my contact at Oregon. He said, players, you don't have to be a loud screamer and a yeller to be, to be respected. Now, this kid, those players will go through a wall for Justin Herbert. They love the kid. They want to make him successful. They want him to say, they'll do anything to help him. They know the talent he has, and they know the great kid and how smart he is. So, everybody's always oh, loves being in the classroom, doesn't love being on the football field as much as the class. They said, that's a bunch of baloney. The kid will be a great leader. and a great. So if you go to the right people at the schools, you can get an accurate assessment of that player, and that's what teams do. So no PR firm, nothing like that, Ember, is going to help a player. It's all about what he's done during his career and, and whether there's a lot to back up what we see on the field in terms of leadership and competitiveness. Not a lot of negatives can be found when evaluating Texas running back Bijan Robinson. The defending NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles are sitting at 10. Some could say they could be in the market. Atlanta at 8 could be in the market. What do you think happens with Bijan Robinson? <laughs> He's the million-dollar question, isn't he? Right. Uh, yeah, I, I look at right now and say, could he drop down to the middle of the first round, though, even though he's one of the top five to six? McShay's got him three on his board or two. I have him six. So everybody's got him in the, clearly in the top ten. And, you know, well, Phil Philadelphia at 30, if they use that 10th pick on a tr- get somebody in the trenches, which they typically do, well, they try to get up from 30, figuring, okay, we typically don't want to take a running back in the first, but we got this extra pick here. We already got a guy on the D-line or O-line. Now we can go get Bijan. But that's assuming he gets to 15 to 20. If he doesn't, all bets are off, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Philadelphia can't do that. They'll probably look for a running back in the second to fourth round. They got that with Miles Sanders a few years ago. So for me, Bijan could go, I'm with you on Atlanta. Arthur Smith had who? Derrick Henry, right? Tyler Algier, though, had a pretty good rookie year. But people say, well, Bijan's better. Well, certainly he's better, but do you need another back when Algier was very productive? You know, Detroit has two backs. Do they want to take him at six? You know, what happens in the middle of the first round? Does somebody trade up to get him, say, ahead of Detroit at 18 or ahead of Tampa Bay at 19 or ahead of the Chargers at 21, who are teams that have been talked about as possibilities for Bijan? I don't know where he's going to go. I can't help you in that regard. I wouldn't take him in the first round. That's just me. I would never take a running back in the first round. That's my wild philosophy that now everybody's kind of buying into. I think Jameer Gibbs from Alabama could also be a first-round pick. We saw Travis Etienne 
few years ago, go in the first round, late first round. I think Jameer Gibbs slides. Because of this draft not being that strong, teams will look at him as a weapon who can move outside, slot wide, catch the football. Jameer Gibbs is probably going to go in the first and maybe the Cincinnati Bengals in the late first round. You have had your hands full with this one, Mel, but all that hard work pays off in just a few days. The NFL draft kicks off on Thursday. Mel Kuyper, Jr., ESPN NFL draft analyst. Thanks, Mel. Hope this keeps everybody guessing. Appreciate it, guys. Enjoy the draft. (laughs) So again, Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern is when our coverage here on ESPN Radio kicks off. Chris Canty, Chris Carlin, Ian Fitzsimmons, and Mike Tannenbaum, plus Jordan Reed. So you will want to be tuned in to ESPN Radio for that. Coming up next here on ESPN Radio, it is your turn to weigh in, though. We open up the phone lines on Joe and Amber. Give us your reaction to the Aaron Rodgers trade, Dylan Brooks, the Miami Heat, Milwaukee Bucks, whatever you got for us. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. We get to your phone calls next. Joe and Amber, the podcast. To get to your phone calls. 888-SAY-ESPN. That's how you join the conversation here on Joe and Amber. 888 888- Seven two nine three seven seven six. Right now at the half, Milwaukee is up on Miami, fifty-seven to fifty. Giannis Antetokounmpo has seventeen points. So does Brooke Lopez. Like, come on, Miami, please shut down Brooke Lopez. What are we doing? Also, Jimmy Butler was lights out, twenty-two in the first quarter, only twenty-four though overall at the half. Before we get to your phone calls, why are you waving at me, James? Just yeah. say it on the air. No, I, yeah, I know. I, I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm just <laughs> trying to make it sound like it's uh, like we're all in the same place at the same time. But I guess that backfired on me. No, um, I told you earlier <laughs> that uh, Rachel had a theme for the music today. Did you notice what it was? Um, I, I did. I did not. You didn't. Did you notice, Joe? I don't know music very well. I'll be completely honest. She could have been playing just about anything. If it's not some hippie jam band, I really don't. I really don't Honestly, know. I forgot that you had. James did tell us, Rachel, that you had a theme today. And then I forgot to pay close enough attention because I've been way too caught up in this heat game. What was the theme? Now I feel bad. Freedom. Oh, the theme was freedom. Because we no longer have to do Aaron Rodgers watch. We Very are all good. free from the national nightmare. I, that was Aaron Rodgers holding us hostage only for like I a year, guys. And then that. he's going to do it again next off season. We're not, so yeah, we're not done with that. Well, we pause, pause, pause not was, was not an now. option. So freedom <laughs> it was. <laughs> all, right. all right. Let's get to your phone calls. Call a roulette. Let's go. 13 black hot. No winner. Spin the wheel. Make a deal. It's a game of chance. Let's play. Call a roulette. With Joe and Amber. I do always appreciate the show within the show, though. And that's what Rachel was just doing with the music. So I very much appreciate that. Triple Eight, say ESPN. That is where we spin the wheel. James almost got so mad at me for forgetting to spin the wheel. I caught myself. I I spun that wheel and it landed on Mordecai. Mordecai We're off and running, ladies and gentlemen. Mordecai is in Raleigh. Hey, Mordecai, what do you have for us? Yeah, hey, I just wanted to comment real quick. I hear 
that uh, that Aaron is going to wear his number eight uh, that he wore in college rather than wearing uh, Joe Namath's number 12. I think that's a fantastic move on his part. That will definitely ingratiate himself to the to the fans in New York. And you know more. You know um, he he's a bit uh, Joe. Uh, excuse me. Aaron's a bit whimsical, a little mercurial, but he's also old school. Really loved that move about wearing number eight and not taking Joe Namath's number twelve. What do you think? Well, there's a lot of things we can say about Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't think, though, that one of the things that we could say about him is that he doesn't respect the game, right? Because it does seem like he is a player that understands the players that came before him. I know Joe Namath, or at least I saw, I believe it was it was reported that Joe Namath had said that he could wear 12 if he wanted to. He was to. cool with it, yeah. He was cool with it. He had given his blessing. But apparently Rodgers is going to choose instead to go the number eight route. I think it's a solid move by Aaron. Very classy, and I appreciate the use of the word whimsical to describe Aaron Rodgers. That's a new one, and quite frankly, I'll be using that moving forward. Yeah, it's it's perfect in terms of an Aaron Rodgers description. Let's go ahead and spin the wheel. Sean. Sean is in New York. Hey, Sean, thanks for the call. What do you have for us tonight? What's up, Amber? What's up? What's up, everybody? I just want to say uh, I think the Jets are going to be a wild card team still with Rodgers. I think the Bills have that division on lockdown. But, uh, you know, I think they're uh, – you know, definitely making vast improvements to, to beef up that team. They're going to be a problem for the next couple of years. And I just want to say one thing about the Knicks. Let's go, Knicks! <laughs> well, we could have done, done without that last part there, Sean. But, uh, yeah, I, I do wonder if we're over-inflating the Jets just waltzing into the Super Bowl, Joe. It's entirely possible that they're not even going to win their division because that Bills team is very good and – there is still the Miami Dolphins in that division, too. I mean, they're getting their respect. They're sitting around 14-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, 9-1 to 1 to win the conference. So it's not as if they vaulted up as the favorites like you would see in some situations. Very much the respect lies with Kansas City. A lot of respect with Cincinnati. There are other teams out there that are going to be challenging. The Buffalo Bills are the favorites to win the division. But the respect for the Jets is on the rise. They're going to need to go out and earn it, though. They need to do it the rest of the way. Because if they open the season one and three, there's going to be a lot of questions. And that is not an easy schedule for them next year. It is not an easy schedule. As a Dolphins fan, I do not like having Aaron Rodgers in my division. That's for sure. I felt a lot better about it when Zach Wilson was at the helm for the New York Jets. I would imagine Bills fans and Patriots fans feel very similarly. Let's spin that wheel. Howard. Howard is in New Jersey. Hey, Howard, thanks for the call. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm happy we got Rodgers. I uh, think it's a fair deal. I'm more concerned with the Jets' O-line. I wasn't a big uh, Connor McGovern fan. I grew up with Jim Sweeney, Kevin Mawine, Nick Mangold, you know, running the show on the O-line. Does having McGovern stop them from taking one of – I think there's five good centers in the draft, but the top three could probably start right away. Does taking McGovern stop them from taking one of those guys? I'm going to be completely honest. Any- 
I don't have the evaluation. I don't have the evaluation to answer that question. Well, That's a nicely nice, nice in-depth question there. Well, the thing is, though, that I think is important to remember, it's not like they gave up so many picks here in this draft, right? Like, they swapped picks, but it's not like they gave them up. So they can still address some of those concerns in this draft. I mean, even with that first pick, you're only talking about moving back two spots, which is all that they did here. They, dra- they, they swapped the fifth and the sixth rounder there's a lot of swaps going on here they're not actually losing the capital until potentially 2024 this has been the joe and amber podcast you can listen to joe and amber live weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m eastern plus you can listen on the espn app sirius xm channel 80 or on your smart speaker joe and amber the podcast